Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, hustlers. We know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business, or let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you, introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute routing in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash payroll starter monthly 5k. If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share Podcast is brought to you by Union Digital Bank a fully digital bank with a mission to empower every Filipino everywhere by providing easy access to digital financial services for consumers and businesses. Union Digital Bank partners with startups to co-create financial products to meet the needs of their customers. Contact Union Digital Bank to explore how they can power your platform with embedded financial services. For more information about Union Digital Bank, please see their website at www.uniondigitalbank.io. Stay updated by following them on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Also by Shoppable Business, your number one source for procuring products for your business in the Philippines. Discover authentic branded products online. Shop bulk, save big, and secure authentic products with official sales invoices at Shoppable Business today. Also brought to you by Paymongo, the payment gateway for business growth. Paymongo allows your business to accept online payments from your customers through Visa, MasterCard, Gcash, GrabPay, Maya, online banking, Buy Now, Pay Later, and many more. All with just one platform. Sign up for free at paymongo.com. And brought to you by SeekCap. SeekCap is a lending platform powered by UBX Philippines. With SeekCap, you can easily apply for a loan from 5,000 pesos up to 1 million pesos from the comfort of your own home nationwide. Visit www.seekcap.ph, sign up, and apply for a loan now. That's www.seekcap.ph. Take your business to new heights by seeking capital with SeekCap. 
It's really other founders. I've been really fortunate to be able to find a network of other founders that can have real conversations, right? It's not like, oh yeah, everything is going great. Everything, okay, I don't want to have that conversation. It's not, it's not real. It's not, I know it's not going great, right? Or if it is, God bless you, but it's not for me at that point in time. Welcome to Hustle Share, the podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now here's your host, Ronster Beethyong. Welcome to the latest episode of the Share Podcast. We finally got the guy. All right, we almost did not make it. But again, it's always the, the right timing for the right episode. And again, finally, we got this very busy man who's been hustling so hard Trying to get the biggest clients and all that. And I think he has already. But before I get carried away, let's welcome to the show, Mr. Brett Doyle of Mosaic Solutions. Brett, right. welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Glad we finally made it happen. Again, thanks so much. Again, uh, I always, I think I first met you in Kickstart. Doing one of the Raider yep. Fridges as well. And then we we solidified our bromanship <laughs> during, what was that? The... Was that earlier this year? Everything is a time warp now. It was this year. I think it was, was it? earlier this okay. year. Maybe right. the Raid the Fridge was right before the holidays. And then we when we reconnected right. first Q1. Yeah. Yep. And we did a startup festival theme a jig with, with mm. Kaya in your office. Yep. And yep. it pulled That's up right. in the most amazing way. Because again, it's in uh it's in Palma. Right. Yep. For those people who don't know what Palma is, Palma is one of those back streets of, of Rockwell. It's a great place. But if it's only a great place, if you didn't bring your car, all right, <laughs> if you brought a car, good luck trying to find parking. So I found myself wearing a really hot outfit and had difficulties trying to find uh, parking. So I found parking somewhere near Conwy. Apparently, it was a parking slot for a cafe five streets away. So they took me to the cafe. So I ended up eating. It's like, dude, am I going to walk all the way to freaking Mosaic? Because by the time I'm there, I'm already, already going to be in a full sweat. So you know what I did? I did the most OG thing ever. Just like how I did it back then. I pulled up in a tricycle. <laughs> <laughs> the best way to get around Poblacion, actually, is those tracks. So that's good. <laughs> Bro, uh, that, that's the most gangster. And I pulled up right in front of your office. Yep. That's amazing. But again, dude, super, super excited to finally have you here. But I need to ask you the million dollar question. Brett, what's your hustle? What's my hustle? You want to hear about Mosaic? That's my hustle. I have no side hustles. There's a sole hustle. This is this is text all encompassing. Um, yeah, so we are a software provider at the core uh, for F&B retail and now uh, mall groups as well. So I think we're the one of the only ones that really combines front of house, which is point of sale and everything that everyone, all your all your listeners use in terms of interacting with a point of sale. So Grab, Food Panda, QR codes, payments, et cetera, bringing all that into our ecosystem and then combining that with what's really important, which gets overlooked because it's not quite as sexy as revenue, but it's the cost side. So purchasing, inventory management, and then our analytics platform, which is, I'd say, second to none. And really pulls everything together. So for us, I think the the key things that we really differentiate on are data, and then bringing this partner ecosystem around us, kind of best of breed, so that we don't have to build everything. We don't have the, the time nor resources to do that as yep. as people try. 
And so, and there's some really amazing companies out there that uh, that we've partnered with instead. And then, then at the data side, but what we say all the time is we're trying to get the right data uh, right. to you at the right time in the right place to make better decisions, right? So one of the things I always tell people is, hey, F&B, which is, you know, any sort of restaurants from food kiosks to the stalls to white white tablecloth and even retail to, the, uh, to a certain extent, but it's a combination of art and science. Yep. And it will always be that. And I never want to take the art away because the art is why you or me or anybody goes back. It's that emotional connection to the brand and to the experience. All we're trying to do is make the science easier, right? Make that easier nice. to use, help people make better decisions. All right. Sounds good. Yeah, super exciting. And again, that's a very big problem to solve because there is a huge chasm in between that front of house uh, ecosystem, which is again, uh, has been there for a while, but it's really where things fall apart is bringing that data that you do or people don't even know if they have data <laughs> that they, they can collect, right? And making smart business decisions and also the right instantaneous moves in order to really affect the whole chain. Totally. And that's super duper important. But again, before we talk about Mosaic, I need you to buckle up, my man. Because again, okay, before right. we talk about how you did this Mosaic thing, we need to understand your origin story because right. we're going to have to ride the Hustle Share Time Machine. All right, look up. Palma. I will pick up the okay. All right, that's amazing. So we're all the way back. And I want to understand, Brett, just like every, every time we've had the, a great hustler in the show, what's the origin story and who, what was your first exposure to hustling? Is this something that you learned in, in the family and friends or did you hustle very early growing up? What was that like? Yeah, yeah. I think early days. That's why I tell my kids this as well. I grew up, my, my dad was uh, in sales, but kind of like really traditional sales, packaging, packaging machinery sales, right? Yep. right? Back in the day, my mom was a school teacher. So we are kind of middle class, typical middle class in America, I would say. Which time. city? I was born in Ohio, grew up in hot Atlanta, though, Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta. Uh, yeah, there you go, yeah, A-Town. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think early early on, I re- kind of realized the, the the value of money and being able to spend because we didn't have that much. Um, so started my own uh, hustles. I think my first job was pet sitting for people who went out of town in the, no in the summers um, and then mowing lawns and landscaping. And then I added in babysitting and then I upgraded to lifeguarding and coaching swimming eventually as well. So those were, that was kind of my progression as I got toward university and then was a bartender uh, in school, which is kind of my first, first exposure to, to hospitality as well. So, but I think that like, that drive really came a lot from my from my dad as well. So he he was on the road quite a bit uh, mm-hmm. for his for his job. And even when I was in high school, he had lost his job and had to take a job in another state um, and oh, just no. come back and forth, which was or really at, hard. How far? He was out? In Oklahoma. He was in Oklahoma. What? Actually. In the middle yeah, of the yeah. freaking country. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not ideal by any means. I'm certainly not for him to be away from his family. Um, I know it's very very common here for people to do that, but it wasn't at that time. Definitely in the U.S. for sure. My recollection of that is that he still made it back for every one of my track meets, every one of my swim meets, you know, every one of the, everything that was important to me in high school, my last two years in high school. Nice. Uh, and he did it because not that he wanted to be living in Tulsa, Oklahoma, right? But mm-hmm. he did it because he had to needed to support the family. And I think that sort of stuck. That's an image and a, and a and a driving force that stuck with me. I think subconsciously because this is I don't I haven't really talked about that story very often, but it's um 
but it's just one of those things that sort of sticks in you, right? You're like, yes, I need to go get this done, right? And if yep. and there's people who are making much bigger sacrifices than me to to mm. get to get stuff done and get their own hustle successful, right? So yep. and take care of their families. So I think that was one of the the initial things that sort of stuck with me, along with uh, just trying to be somewhat, I guess, entrepreneurial and putting posters up mm. as a kid all around our neighborhood, trying to trying to make money however I could. <laughs> right, right. No, that's amazing because at the end of the day, right? I mean, now that we're the adults in the room and we're those people, right? And you you understand the grind and you've seen it, but you when you you live in those shoes all of a sudden, being present and still being able to hustle is such an incredible thing to balance, right? Yeah. Yeah. But just the fact that he made it during those important things that you mentioned that were important to you, that was super amazing. But I want to understand, right? So okay, you're also doing these side hustles, huh? Sorry, I'll just go on tangent here a little bit. Okay. All right, all right, all right. This year was rough for me, right? Super damn rough. Like, again, with survival mode, I lost my co-founder. Again, financially, I'm broke and whatnot. But I found ways like, all right, how the hell do I make ends meet doing shit that I still like? So this goes back to that mowing lawn type of thing that you're doing, right? This is the first time you're going to hear it. I've not told anyone. I mean, I've told every, every, anyone, just my friends. Okay, right? okay. But in the podcast, the first time, I'm launching the first ever pressure washing service business in the country. Is that right? First ever. Yep. I mean, th- there are a few, but I'm trying okay. to do this at scale. So okay. All right. that All right. hustle. All right. And I know this is common in the Southeast because it's sure. freaking yeah, moldy out there. Season. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of lichen and mold and all that. So yep. watch yep. out. Uh, it's going to be called Papa Pressure. That's Ooh, what we're, I like it. Yeah. I like that, it. So that's what we're, uh, we're doing. Anyways, just, just sewing. so, Going back when you were doing all these hustles, of course, you don't just do hustles and not learn anything, right? What were the foundational skills you learned while doing these side hustles as well? Because also, you are a Tar Heel. I now see. I didn't yeah, know you were yeah. a Tar Heel. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. UNC, baby. But what were these foundational skills you learned during those times that you still carry on today? One of the key ones is time management uh, that I try to carry on. So especially when I was working in university and a couple of different, I had a restaurant job and a bar job. And, um, but the key reason for me to be there was not to be the best bartender or the best, you know, guy working behind the counter at honey baked hams and and blow torching hams. Right. So it was, (laughs) it was to, to learn and get a degree. So I still had to sort of balance out all, all of that. And so I think that time management and the ability to do more with less, I think, Mm was one that something that really stuck with me. And then I think earlier days than that also is just just the idea of showing up every day, right? And then that's yes. That can mean a number of different things to people, but it's really key that you you have intention, right? And you show up with intention no matter what your job, what your hustle, what you're trying to do, you show up with intention and you're there. And to your point before, you're present, right? And I think that's those two things are probably the two things that sort of stuck with me the most from that. Got it. Now, after UNC again, oh, I, I wish we could talk about UNC, talk about basketball and talk about, yeah, yeah, talk yeah. about Michael anytime, Jordan anytime. <laughs> and my favorite Tar Heel, Rashid Wallace. That's my guy. Oh, yeah. Right? He was there uh, when I was there. Oh, no way. Are you kidding me with mm. Stackhouse? Oh, yeah, 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 no yeah, yeah. My freshman year, they, uh, yeah, yeah. So, that was yeah, amazing. We, All right. we, we won't talk about that because we can talk, <laughs> take the whole episode about that. But I want to understand after college, what was the first grind that you did? Because again, I, I see here in your, my only reference, bro, is your LinkedIn. So it, you you went north, you went you went to Be More. 
I did. I did. Yeah. So what was that like? To another. So yeah, I went into investment banking, which was uh, so that time middle mid mid nineties, basically. Uh, investment banking was still a pretty sought after path and definitely a grind. You know, it was very common 20 hours a day working, but, but an amazing experience as well. I mean, as a 21, 22 year old, I was, I was in the media group there. Mm-hmm. So we, and there, they had in the US, they had just loosened all the rules. So there was a ton of consolidation, radio companies, TV companies. Yep. We created this whole build, outdoor billboard industry. So a ton of deals, really fun, learned a, a lot from, from my boss who was really good about one of the things that stuck with me from, from working with him was he's really good about giving people opportunity. Right. And sometimes it was, it was well outside of your comfort zone. Um, yep. I mean, one, and you don't understand was, what the hell's going on. Until, yeah. 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 Right? He told me like one time he was like, we need to go pitch this company about this, about something, come up with an idea and then let's go talk to them tomorrow. So I did. I worked all night, came up with an idea. I said, okay, they had TV and radio and the multiples mm-hmm. are very different. I said, sell this and invest into this, right? He goes, I love it. You're going to pitch it to the CFO. And I was like, well, first of all, I've been up all night. Uh, I don't have the good idea. And he's like, I don't know any of the numbers. You know the numbers. You go in there and do it. I'm like, okay. So I did it. We got the deal and we ended up, it was a, it was a billion dollar sale of, of their radio stations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so it's just stuff like that, that that sticks with you because yes. I kind of try to do the same with people I've worked with in a senior role over the years too. It's like, I don't need to tell you how to do everything, right? That's why I hired you. And yeah, you're going to fail at times and you're going to get back up and you're going to be better, right? Um, in addition to all the exposure to like really amazing entrepreneurs and founders who were super successful, you know, and built these you know billion dollar plus media companies, it was just those little takeaways that, that I got from that time. Again, like the value of hard work, value of being prepared and be able to think on your feet, right? Because had a year of experience, two years of experience at that point, right? Yeah. So these guys had 20, 30 years of experience. So so that was really cool. And then I, well, from there, I went um, to the West Coast. Bay Area. Yeah. And uh, stayed in investment banking for another year, but worked on media, co- uh, internet company. So it was mm-hmm. uh start of the dot-com era. Uh, we took uh, eBay public. What? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We sold PayPal. I had a uh, um, I still have Elon Musk's phone number in my Outlook contacts. I'm pretty sure it doesn't work anymore, but I haven't tried it in years. <laughs> you so. never know. Try it out. And <laughs> I just can't delete it. I just can't delete it. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, some really, really fun stuff. And, uh, and from there, I, I went into um, uh, into working in, in my first startup as well. Right. So I want to understand the foundations. We, we talk about the, the, the soft skills. But what about the hard skills? Because investment banking, looking at, businesses fundamentally and whatnot, when you also master that skill, it's like seeing the matrix, right? You're not going <laughs> to yeah, be, yeah. you're not going to be fooled by bells and whistles now or just hype. Cause at no. the end of the day, you know, the fundamentals that you look for to really see what's an investable business what's a sellable business. What are those skills you mastered during that time? Because again, these are not just random companies, Alex Brown, freaking Deutsche Bank, right? And then uh, Guru, right? These are companies that are reputable and you're you're working on billion dollar deals. But what were those fundamentals that you developed in assessing a business and also the core skills that also helped you become a founder? Because again, your your spreadsheet or your Excel uh, superpowers for sure is going to be top notch. 
Yeah, I mean, I, that's the thing. I learned a lot from an, from an Excel perspective and even PowerPoint perspective, right? Mm. That still is pretty pretty helpful. Yep. Um, but in terms of like um, the fundamentals, I think it was the numbers don't lie, right? So people can try to make numbers lie and try to make numbers creative and clever. And there's a, always this big, you know, hockey stick curve that yep. people try to put into their numbers. But well, I think what I learned there is 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 really being able to look at numbers quickly and see a story. Mm. And I, that skill is still really helpful to me today uh, when I'm looking at things because it's um it doesn't necessarily have to like be able to say, oh, this is this is the IRR or the ROI or whatever. It's like, just tell me a story with numbers, right? And I can I can do that. And then the other really uh, valuable skill is asking the right questions, right? right. So asking questions, trying to get depth of answers uh, from people because I think, and you know this well, um, talking to founders all the time, like anybody can tell you what they want for five minutes, but it's the, they have this spiel, right? But it's the questions. Can they answer the questions? And that's the key. So those are the two big, I think, big skills that I I picked up during that time in addition to the the softer skills. Yeah. And that's why I never give, people always uh, ask me, I kind of mastered that skill now through Hustle Share. People always like, hey, give me the skeleton of what we're gonna freaking talk about. (laughs) Like, dude, we're good. You're gonna have to tell me your story if this is gonna be scripted, right? And I'd say 98% of the time, there's no script because if you cannot tell your story and it's your story, I'm not, we're not making up any story. You cannot tell me your story. There's something wrong with that, right? Because I'm not gonna throw you a wrench, right? This is not gonna be, I'm not gonna throw you a curveball and make you look bad. But if you cannot tell me a story based on your narrative, then we have a problem, right? Yep. Um, yep. That's not yep. that, that's not a story that I, I don't want to be. I, I want I want to participate in because it would sound weird uh, as well. So now, okay, you you did all of these foundational skills, so it's amazing. So is this uh, okay? I'll just uh, do a hot, stupid question here real quick. But was this skill your epiphany towards really bridging that data for a mosaic down the road, like? looking at all this backend stuff and how you want to be able to, I mean, foundationally in in the nineties, we don't really have that much structure yet and how that works. Yep. Yep. But was that like the the foreshadowing of how eventually that turned to mosaic down the road? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I hadn't actually thought about that, but I think I've always been really interested in the data side for the reason I just said to you before, like data mm-hmm. tells stories, right? Yeah. And that's what I tell our analytics team all the time. Like, don't just create a cool graph that you think people are going to want to look put, look at on a dashboard. Tell me a story, right? Make sure these dashboards make sense. There's a story to it that 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 someone who's looking at them can then tell their founder or their CEO or their investors or whatever it might be. Right. And so, and I think that was the, that's just, again, something that we always had to do a lot as, uh, you know, more junior uh, part of investment banking was figure out what the story was and, and be able to tell that. And, and, and to your point, like the, there's all these silos of data, which has always bothered me, um, right? And that's what we're trying to solve right now in a much different, much different form factor and way. But like having all these silos of data and and not being able to put them together, this for whatever reason has always been a, a thing for me. Like I was like, no, these, these it's, it has to go together. It has to be able to tell a story, right? So um, it's not just page one, two, three, right? It's 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 a journey <laughs> from page one to three, right? Yeah. So. 
so yeah, so I hadn't actually really thought about that, but yeah, there's probably some some subconsciously there's something there around the fact that they're trying to make uh, you know trying to structure data into that into the storytelling, right? That sort of has stuck with me for yeah, yeah. Because at the end of the day, again, all our previous hustles, there's synergy one way or another. It, you never really go back to zero, right? You you carry on. It's a step ladder. Whatever yep. those foundational skills, like for example, for me, I always say, all right, my very first startup was a nightlife app, right? And my job was to, my the, the job, what, what the app was, was to get people on the guest list, right? To skip okay. the lines all of right. a long yeah. ass line of a club. And I mastered that for six years. And now I feel like in any type of door, it doesn't matter if I'm invited or not, I can walk into a place and get myself in regardless. Yep. Sure. Right? Yeah. That's a good right? skill. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that that applies. And then okay. now if you're in a club, I do not get scared of walking up to someone and introducing myself because that's what the club is. Right. Yeah. So those are the things that, that that fall through that eventually translate the sales. And you just add layers on top of that, of those foundational skills. And subconsciously, you, you don't even know what is already embedded in my DNA that I pull up to a, to a place and the, the switch yeah. just, just, just uh, turns on. And, yeah, you're and really happens. good at that. I have to say, I, I do admire that skill of yours. So I see you work, real, or not even work rooms. That that sounds that sounds uh, disingenuous. But the the way that you can go and and genuinely engage with people is is really impressive. I have to say, I've thanks to the club <laughs> <laughs> with blaring music. <laughs> that's what you that's what you get. But now I want to understand, bro. What? How? How? Okay, you you did the investment bank route. You said you put your first startup. What was the first startup? like and what was that first experience yeah yeah so i was in investment banking um and there was a lot of money being thrown around at people staying in investment banking at the time and uh because of all the mergers that were going on people wanted to keep keep talent and i remember having a call with my and i was in the bay area right where it was like epicenter of everything happening at that point in time like there you could do do no wrong right you could throw a dollar and it would come back ten dollars right um i had an offer to stay at the bank and and continue okay. on and it was a really good offer it was like it was kind of like a professional athlete there was like guaranteed money for three years wow. and i was like what i don't understand this at the age of 23 or up, but okay okay <laughs> And I vividly remember calling my dad and telling him I'm not taking it. And he was like, okay, I will support you, but I have no idea. I just couldn't fathom, right? right. Turning down that money. And uh, and he's like, so what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to go to Vietnam and Thailand for six weeks and I'm going to hang out and then I'm going to come back and make a decision around what I want to do. Again, it wow. was like the one time he, my dad was like, I'm trying to be unconditional love. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I really wanted to build something. And being around everybody in that time who was building, building, building and helping them raise money and helping them do stuff, like you felt right. kind of a little bit on the outside, right? And so I was like, I want to build. I want to be part of something that that is that you have passion for. And so... Mm. I went to work at, I had two offers, um, one from another company I won't mention because I'll tell a story first and one from the company where I ended up, right? Um, And the company I I won't mention uh, had just raised a massive round with like the VCs of the Bay Area at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And we're throwing a ton of equity around, right? So I was like, okay. And this, the brand name we had cachet at the time. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to, but in my heart, 
the I had the better connection to Guru, right? With the founders, with the people I was working with. I, there's, like, this is the one time I didn't trust my gut when I made a job decision. And I I knew it within a week uh, mm. that I made the wrong decision. So I went to our company. It just didn't feel right. I didn't like the way they were doing. I was in the kind of biz dev corp dev role. I didn't yep. like the way they were doing partnerships. It wasn't like a win-win approach mm. to things. It was like a, it was like a win for us. Can I take? Yeah, exactly. How much I got to take advantage of you type thing, right? Mm. Just not me. And it wasn't the office environment and whatever. So, mm-hmm. so I, I, I were talking to a friend. And I was like, I, I made the wrong decision. I need to go back to Guru. Um, so I hat in hand went back to the founder at Guru and said, I made a bad decision. This is the reason why you don't have to take me back. You don't have to, you know, uh, uh, you know give me the offer again. But I'm willing to have this same conversation to take accountability for a bad decision I made for every mm-hmm. single person I interviewed with. And I did. I spent the entire day having that same hard conversation over and over and over. Wow. Right. And they gave me the offer again. And they said, listen, that took incredible balls. It took like, and humility it, and humility. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, we, we, we've always liked you. We want you. And so, uh, so I, we, I took that, I took that role. I helped them raise their series C. And then we did, uh, it was like, a, I don't know, 30, 40 million at that time, I think. And then I was at BizDev Corp Dev. I did, I ended up doing sales. I did customer success for a while, right? Um, and then what was really cool was I was really close to the founders. And so I was in all of these meetings. I didn't need to be from an organizational structure perspective, but right. I helped them with all their board stuff. So I was, I was in there for um, a lot of very challenging conversations, right? Because um, let's take a step back first. One thing, that, uh, the other thing I did there that I, I still, I talked to my team about still is I, we launched e-commerce. Mm. So I kind of took one of the first companies I think that did this, but basically took like the anchor tenant approach of malls mm-hmm. and put it into e-commerce. So I, I got guaranteed payments from so we are a company focused on uh, gig workers, right? So consult, you know, freelancers. Um, yep. A little bit ahead of our time, admittedly, but we are trying to disintermediate executive recruiters and and use tech instead, right? So use AI, whatever the predecessor was to AI at the time, right? To basically do better matching based on skills and cultural testing and stuff like that. But the other part of it was culture. I mean, sorry, community, right? And so we are trying to say all these freelance workers, all these gig workers. They don't have a place to go to work, right? They don't have uh, people to hang out with and have coffee or whatever. So we had this community side. And then I launched commerce for us, which was everything that you think you get through your company, we provided for you instead. So health insurance, travel, Mm. office supplies, et cetera, et cetera, right? So anyway, launched that. And I remember, again, text uh, coding is not my background, obviously, but... um, I worked with the developers. I stayed up all night. I did Q- I was QAing, just doing QA Ooh. myself night after night. Now right? you're a product so, person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I tell my team, like, listen, I've done this before, right? I Maybe it doesn't seem like it, but I've done it before, right? So, yeah, yeah so we did that. And then, and then like that role kind of blossomed into, like I said, just like those more informal kind of advisory role for the, for the founders as nice. well, in, in addition to what I was doing. But one of the things that really sticks with me from that experience, though, is 2000, 2001 was a was shit, right? It was a mm-hmm. huge downturn in tech. Uh, it was a lot like the last couple of years. 
Yeah. I mean, not to, not to the scale because tech hadn't the startup community hadn't gone as big uh, globally, but in San Francisco, felt like the world was ending. Right. <laughs> so um, I was there so, during the Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, oh yeah. Thing okay, happened okay. this yeah, year. Yeah. Yeah. Around February, March. Yeah, you can cut. That was cut this the year air. too. Oh my yeah. god, it feels forever ago. <laughs> I can cut it with a knife. Um, yeah, the, the vibe was just off, bro. It's just yeah, 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 yeah. So, and I remember being part of those same conversations around like, yeah, we've got to, we've got to conserve cash. We've got to do a restructuring. We, we hate the fact that we have to do this, but this is the painful steps that we have to take. And the way they mm-hmm. handled it with a, a ton of respect for everybody and empathy for people that were impacted and um, those things stick, yeah, they stick with you right they stick with you as as part of as you as you kind of move down the path all right sounds good now let's take our first break and when we come back we will continue the story of how you were able to get into more startup stuff and then all of course we're going to be talking about how brett created mosaic let's talk about that more after the break A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. Calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate their growth. Submit your pitch to Impact24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch at SASCON PH, the country's biggest SAS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. Apply now at saschallenge.ph that's sasschallenge.ph. And good luck, and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. And we're back from the break. We are still with Brett Doyle, who then told us what happened and how he got his first taste of startup life. Again, uh, with, with utmost humility. But after that, you did the gap, all right? Is this your fashion era? Why yeah, are yeah. you... You were wearing yeah. plaid shirts every day. Well, well, well. <laughs> <laughs> well how, how? What was that Gap experience, and what did, what did you learn there? 
Yeah, yeah. So after business school, I kind of wanted to get into something that was a bit more tangible for a while. So and I've always had been interested in retail. So I I went to work at Gap in a really cool group because it was part of the role was supposed to be kind of long-term planning, which is almost impossible in retail, especially apparel retail. But mostly it was around strategy. Mm. So it was kind of this internal team that we tackled everything that either didn't neatly fit into a functional area or the C-suite didn't want to fit into a functional area. So it was everything from launching a new brand to buy versus build e-commerce um, uh, strategy to supply chain issues to how to grow aggressively using franchises internationally. So really cool breadth of projects mm-hmm. and really great exposure at the senior level as well. And again, kind of similar to the guru uh, days in meetings that I probably had no business necessarily being in from uh, where I sat on the org structure perspective, but just because of the skill set and what we were doing and kind of this sort of, you know, special tech team, you know, had had that exposure and had that that insights. And because this really, you learn a lot just from absorbing, right, uh, from people around you, and it can be good or bad, right? It can be good lessons or can sort of things like, oh, I don't want to be like that, right? I don't want to repeat that. So yeah, so that's what that was Gap. And then I think one of the things that sort of moved me on sort of back into finance a little bit was my last project there it was a supply chain project and it had a mm, couple hundred million dollar impact. What? Totally unnoticed. Totally unnoticed, right? Because it was a $15 billion company at the time. So Are you kidding uh, me? this is too big for me. This is too big. I need to get back into building something. So and so I then I um, I went back into finance. I also at that time, uh, unfortunately, my my dad had been diagnosed with cancer, oh, no. and it began like a long five year battle before he ultimately passed away. But I needed to be back closer to them. I was the only one of my siblings who was uh, still single at the time, and so okay. easy for me to move around. And so that was another reason I kind of moved back and and I got this job at at, um, at back in investment banking, kind of doing consumer uh, focused investment banking for a while. Right. In um, Nashville, Tennessee, in, in the heart of rock and roll in the exactly. middle of the heartland. Yeah. Right yep, there. Yep. Amazing. Yep. Okay. So after the gap now, I, now I understand where the art part of you coming, comes along because you yep, went from yep. plaid. <laughs> now rock and roll. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, Man. Yep, exactly. Hunky Hometown of Taylor Swift, yep. right? No, is it? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not sure. Okay. Taylor I'm not Swift. A Taylor Swift was in Nashville when I was there. Yeah. Yep. There you go. So perfect. And this is also during the real estate crisis, right? Uh, in yep. 08. So yeah, what yeah, was yeah. that experience like? I mean, it's one of those other things you just you take what you, I mean, it's a series of learnings, right? So going back to Guru, we made it through 2000, 2001. A lot Oof. of our brethren didn't, right? Um, yep. We were really conservative on cash spend. A lot of people weren't. Um, we sold the business in 2002. Unfortunately, for sort of common shareholders like myself, we didn't make anything because of all the the liquidation preferences on top of us at that point. But um, but the investor got their money back, which was something during that. They were happy. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Take a single and move on, right? So, and then in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, I was on the other side where I was kind of uh, um, advising companies, right? Mm -hmm. So in seven, eight, nine, and so you again, you kind of help. You just kind of learn from that situation of of focus on cash right and have a have a focus on on, on that 
and be ready for things that you can't control, right? And they're going to pop up. That is the Every time. economy, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like now. Um, yeah, just it's like It's a now. cycle. Just like now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so you learn from that and you kind of move on. And then that's what I did. And then uh, a friend of mine was basically starting a, a new firm, uh, a venture capital firm out in, in San Diego. And Oh, you went back to the West Coast. I went now back to the West border. Coast. Yeah. Of yeah, Mexico. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 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 So I did that um, where the family, it was a kind of a hybrid family office VC fund. The family oh. had made a bunch of really early stage tech investments, super early. Okay. And we're just throwing cash at them over and over every month, basically just keeping them alive. Right. So wow. we came in. They was like, they wanted, they wanted to grow up and kind of put a, a, a dedicated pool of money together instead. And so we came in, managed that portfolio, that group of companies more as a portfolio. I parachuted into a lot of companies as kind of a operating executive just to kind of get things right size. And in some cases, unfortunately, having to close down businesses as well, which again, some of those things that not fun and never, uh, never an easy discussion to have, especially with a founder, uh, as you know, I mean, it's like, that's your, um, your baby, right? So, um, but again, you take learnings from that and you sort of apply them as you as you move forward. Uh, and then we started, but the the sort of more fun part of that is we started making new investments as well. And that's how I got into restaurant tech. We made an investment in a food tech company in a, in Toronto, Canada. Actually, this is sculpture hospitality. Yep, yep, exactly right. Man, that's extreme. The, just the travel of where you go from sunny San Diego <laughs> all the way to the freezing north in the six. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm not going to ask you how you adapted to that weather, but um, I want to understand the then the, this is the epiphany now, right? Okay, restaurant tech, front of house yep. Yep. data. What 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 did what were the learnings there, and how did that eventually turn into uh, um, the next hustle? Because again, you, I, I'm looking at your link LinkedIn. You went to Toronto, then you went back to San Diego again. Six one nine, right there. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 And how, what was that uh, phase of your your life like? Yeah, so uh, so it's like five years, I think, that I was really involved with sculpture. Um, and so we, we also as part of that, the the CEO we put in place there, we went out and made looked at and made restaurant investments, right, on the operating mm-hmm. side as well, because that was that was his background, and so that was kind of part of the investment thesis around that too, like. Where can we apply sculptures technology and and help turn things around for some of the other the restaurant investments that we were making? So it was really good experience because you saw I saw things from the operating side and I saw things from the investment due diligence side and I saw things from the tech services provider side. And seeing all those things together, what you what was really apparent. Mm-hmm. Again, that's where the site, this, like, this, it became really clear. Like, one of the biggest pain points is people know that there's data out there. They have no idea how to get to it and put yep. it together and tell a story because of it, right? Um, or using it. So, so that was one of the things. And so, when we were looking at sculpture, we said, when I was on the board there, let's go look at some add on technology investments as well and kind of make this ecosystem, right? And, we did one investment. It was okay, I would say, but um, but but in general, it was kind of hard to find things that had enough scale that it made sense. Um, mm. And so we started looking at, okay, well, how else can we grow this business? And we said, mm. okay, well, let's look internationally. So they had a really strong footprint in North America, 
pretty strong footprint in Australia, New Zealand, and kind of a decent uh, presence in the UK. Mm-hmm. And that was about it. Um, and so I've always wanted to do something in this region. I've traveled over here quite a bit, as I was telling you before. That was like my whatever. Eat, pray, love. You know, there, eat, pray, love. Thank you. Eat, pray, love moment before, right? Right. So, so I said, okay, listen, I, I'll, I'll go start doing, and these guys were, okay, how do we expand internationally? And so I said, let me go make some, I'll do some market checks. Right. Um, mm. And I was looking at another investment in Vietnam at the time as well. So it was easy just to sort of tack some things on and Got it. came Singapore, Thailand, Vietnam, Dubai actually as well. Wow. And then here and really just saw the app. And this is 2015, 16. Right. And really just saw the opportunity. Right. And I think one of the things coming from the US, especially, was this is as US brands, this is their first place they come from an FB perspective in Southeast Asia. Right. They don't go to Singapore first. They come here first. If it works, then they start branching out into other markets from here. Right. right? Because there's obviously that connection. That's why Shake Shack went here first and all that. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, look at all the brands that Bistro has, right? So the only um, thing that I don't wait, I don't think it'll ever work is Chick Fil A, mm. because they're closed on Sundays. Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) You know, Filipinos love to go. You have to be open here, right? right? So (laughs) (laughs) everyone's resting. You got to be open there. That's for Uh sure. so yeah, and so we, I went back to them and said, "Listen, I think it's a really interesting opportunity. I think that um, I don't want to go find a partner. I want to go do it. So let me go raise some money. I'll license your technology." They were pretty much like a franchise network everywhere else. I said, "I'm not going to be a franchisee. Okay. I don't want to have to answer to you. I just want to use your tech how I want to use your tech, right?" Mm. And for me, it was a good way to start with revenue uh, because mm. my wife and I were were really bootstrapping the business. Really, I would say my wife, thanks to her Microsoft and Sonos stock, but from, there you go. Uh, that we sold. So, anyways, that's how we that's how we got started. Um, and mm-hmm. I said, listen, we'll start with this product. This will help us get real customer data as well and start to understand the pain points. I knew what I wanted to build out in terms of the product suite that's now Mosaic, but wanted to understand kind of what's the biggest pain point to solve first. And mm-hmm. what we saw was it was purchasing. So that was yes. the first product we built out was. Uh-huh. How do we help to automate purchasing in a way that doesn't, that's not bleeding edge, right? It was just sort of helping make that step along the way. So we build out purchasing, uh, POS, our own inventory platform and analytics. And so we had our full suite in the market by 2019. We had stopped selling sculpture by then as well. um, And really just focused on, on Mosaic. All right. Now, again, I remember when, when we first, I mean, the second, during the, Build a startup festival thing that we we um, had. You told me the story about okay, 2019 was good, and then 2020 <laughs> you were stuck. Okay, can you talk about the story about where you were stuck and how did you still grow the company while you were stuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 2020, February to March of that year, F and B restaurant sales in Metro Manila dropped 95 percent. Right, so. Oof. Uh, now rebounded obviously after that, but it was a really drastic because nobody knew what to do, right? Yep. So there was no omni-channel. There was very little sort of. I mean, there was delivery obviously, but people still weren't 100% really how to. I mean, even from a customer perspective, what's the best way to use it, right? Yep. Um, so anyway, so that was March of 2020. Uh, we were telling the team we had a small office in Poblacion, um, 
by by like Backwell BBZ Gorilla Bar that that building which is now uh, one table. Yep. Uh, one world. Um, so tell everyone to go home, take your computers. We're not sure how long this is going to be. No idea it was going to be as long as it ended up being. Obviously, <laughs> nobody did, right? So, and then I reached out to all of our customers and said, "Hey, listen, I want you to use the software. I have no idea. We have no idea like how this is going to play out. We're not going to charge you during this time, right? Wow. You just use it." really painful from a cash perspective. That's kind of when our personal safety net went away, I would say, because <laughs> we had to put more money into the company and like kind of drain, drain a retirement account right. to do so. Something I promised my wife I, we would never do when we first moved here. <laughs> but we, she got she got on board. She ended up at that point where we were in it, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was the right thing to do from a company and from a customer perspective too. Like, hey, we, we feel your pain, right? As well. Yeah. That, emp- that level of empathy is something again, I tell our team is so important, right? Don't just talk to people, listen to them first, right? Before you're trying to sell, right? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's what we did. And then we were able to pivot a bit into retail mm. as well during that time. And we we signed our first kind of retail client then, and we started getting into and providing tech for cloud kitchens as well during that time. Wow, so, which boom during that time. Yeah. Right? Look yeah, at yeah, Cravers, yeah, sure. look at yeah, Cloud Eats, and, yep. and all that. Wow, that's amazing. But yeah. again, I remember you telling me that you were in Barakai with your children <laughs> uh, yeah, and there was yeah, nobody yeah. there. You were stuck there. How were you able to do that? Yeah, so to, we went to Barakai for Holy Week, uh, right when it kind of opened up again in 2021, just for a bit before it closed back down again, right? Before they stopped travel again. And so we went there kind of knowing that we were going to get stuck in the back of our heads. Like, okay, there's worse places to get stuck, I suppose. And everybody still worked from home at that point. And we were fortunate enough to be able to go go do that and, and uh, really wanted to get our kids started interacting with other kids and get them outside and and we saw that as like it started to happen. And so we kept extending and kept extending. And sooner or later, my kids were up climbing trees every day and <laughs> you know, jumping into the ocean and 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 interacting with kids of all of all backgrounds and types and uh there. And there were no tourists really on the island because they had shut down travel. So it was just beautiful. It was like what Barakai, you know, was in days of old. Yeah. I remember going out to White Beach on a Sunday and not seeing a single person. And I was like, wow. It's like appreciate this because this is not real right this is like, <laughs> like daddy shut up like just just go throw me the frisbee right so um, go skinny dipping there ain't yeah. nobody gonna see you okay. <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> so yeah so we we did that and we ended up um we ended up deciding to move there uh so we we came back and we sold some things off here and we moved back and we did everything work from home for a while nice uh, kids enrolled in school there and then in 2022, when people started wanting to meet in person again, and I, I kind of wanted to start looking at opening an office again and going hybrid, I kind of was my dad at that point, right? I moved to Tulsa. Right. I moved back to Manila. So, mm-hmm. uh, and then went back and forth. Right. So, because the kids were still finishing off school and I wanted to finish off the school year there. And right. so, um, but the, the only difference is you always had a nice tan. Yeah, there exactly. I was about to say, and there are worse places to go home to on a Friday. That's for sure, right? So, um, and about the same commute as it was when I, we were living in Alabang, right? To go from Makati to Alabang. So right, it right. Was, <laughs> but instead of but paying yeah, so toll that, fees, you're paying plane tickets. You exactly, 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 exactly. So yeah, that was the, that was a very interesting, very uh, experience. You know that we are very fortunate to to be able to have during that time and. Uh, and still be able to run the business, obviously, from there as well. 
That's amazing. All right. Now, let's take our last break. And when we come back, we will now talk about how you were able to scale. Because again, while this was happening, you were also able to do fundraising and all that and scale the team and even get a brand new office in Palma. Again, where you can pull up in in a nice fancy tricycle. But let's talk about that more (laughs) after the break. Hey, Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again. And we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter as you grow your own startup. Because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees. And this bundle is your key to freedom, including payroll outsourcing to experts, a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software, and government compliance services. Sprout's Payroll Starter has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes. All the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions for liberating your time for what truly matters. Hey, Hustlers, wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents? Well, I got good news because today's sponsor, Uno Digital Bank, is here to help you achieve your financial goals. You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Pilipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with Gcash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag UnoReady savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag UnoEarn or hashtag UnoBoostTime deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag UnoEarn Earn in flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. Hey, Hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor, Dragon Pay, is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels, giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. 
with over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. Dragon Pay was named Fintech of the Year at last year's Philippine Fintech Festival in 2020. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer, trust Dragon Pay. And we're back from the break. We are still with Brett Doyle again, who now told us why he has a great tan every time. So that's a secret, right? He goes back and forth to Barakai, right? And goes there to, to get things done. But okay, Brett, what uh, at this point, right? So at the start of the pandemic, you were doing things to really just help keep these companies afloat. You literally took the hit for them. But when did it start turning the corner? Because I remember there was one similar path with Patrick Gentry of Sprout. But he said that starting the pandemic, oh my God, we were free. We were scared shitless of yeah. what was going to happen. And then eventually they turned the corner and then they just, they just went bonkers after that. Yeah. What, what, what was the turning point for you guys and uh, how did that further grow? And talk, we'll talk about later how you grew the team simultaneously. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think for us, it was uh, bringing Gentry on um, as a pre, pre-Series A investment mm-hmm. round in 2021. Um, okay. So we had already started to see some momentum coming back. Uh, people actually looking for technology again understanding what that was, what that meant for FNB, had some conversations with SM from a commercial standpoint prior to the pandemic. And then as part of the gentry investment process, uh, we kind of re re-engaged uh, SM on the commercial side too. Um, so I think kind of those those forces came together and we had already internally said, hey, we want to stop evolving our product. We want to take this time, which is kind of a, a global pause and reset to recreate our product, right? How can we how can we make sure that we cement ourselves as as innovators and as leaders in the market and really help revolutionize this industry and make it much more uh, sustainable uh, from a from a restaurant uh, perspective, right? Because there's massive number of people in this country whose income is reliant on F and B and hospitality, right? Yep. Um, and so we want to help. We wanted to help push that forward. And yeah, so those forces sort of came together in 2021, I'd say. And then really kind of uh, by the time they sort of came to fruition was probably really early 2022 even. Mm-hmm. And and then you started coming out of the pandemic, people, uh, groups started saying, hey, I know I need to use cloud, right? They understood mm-hmm. cloud. It wasn't me having to tell them why they need to use software. It was just tell me why Mosaic is the right software for me, uh, right? Which much easier sale, much mm-hmm. shorter sale cycle yeah. as well. Sure, no, you don't need to evangelize it anymore. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so those were the sort of forces that really came together, I'd say, during that time. And we were fortunate enough to bring on SM as a partner and and take what we had developed, which is our analytics uh, platform, and apply it to a new use case without having to create a whole new product to go along with that, uh, which was. It was a super beneficial for us. 
Sounds good. So a couple of things I'm very curious of. So two things. So first is the team. How were you able to build a team during the pandemic? I mean, we were all just trying to wing it. We didn't know what the yeah, hell we were doing, yeah, right? Yeah. But again, you got it done. How were you able to build a team and surround yourself with the right team as you were scaling up? Yeah, teams is really important. Uh, really important. And again, th- did they go to Barakai with you? Uh, <laughs> you know, I did bring one one guy there actually <laughs> to, for planning meetings. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, that uh, somebody we'd hired that uh, from the pro- on the product side at that point in time. So I just like I want to meet in person. I want to go through this. I want to sketch things out. Right. So, okay. uh Now I think my team is a little bit upset that uh, we it's no longer on the on the table anymore. Right. So <laughs> the family moved back here. So going to Rockwell is not as quite as exciting as going to Barakai. <laughs> But yeah, so I think, you know, we, we put a lot of effort into finding the right people. I think it was quality over quantity really at that point in time. And then we did some sort of staff augmentation on the, on the technology and engineering side, just because everybody was remote anyway. So it just felt like they could put a team that was up and somebody had already put together and had good quality and they were up in Clark. Okay, I'll take advantage of that for a time period. Yep. Accelerate some growth, and then I can, and then I can move on and, and kind of re- reallocate resources someplace else, right? So then that gets us up to like Series A time, which was early 2022. Mm-hmm. To be to be really honest, we weren't really looking to do a Series A at that time. Mm-hmm. We were we were looking to do a convert, mm-hmm. but we had started talking to people, and there was a lot of interest, and in, and in Kickstart in particular um, had a lot of interest. And wanted to do a bigger round, and so we said, "Well, let's take a look at this, right?" Let's. So we right. said, "Okay, well, if we Kickstart comes in, Gentry, a couple others," and so I went to the board and said, "Listen, I know this is more dilutive. I mean, just to be transparent, right? It's more dilutive than we had expected it to be. If it was a convert, that would convert down the road, blah blah blah. But it's the right thing to do, right? I think one of the things that stuck with me from long ago, from all the stories that I've already told you, is is shit happens." Right, right. So it happened when <laughs> someone's putting cash on the table, take it, right? Yes. And I said, I, I, I'd rather take this full. So we raised five million. I'd rather take this five million and put it to work, and and accelerate growth rather than do a million convert and kind of bump along. And yeah, we'd still grow, but it would be much slower. And then we trying to raise around at the end of this year instead. And who knows what's going to happen between now and then? Yep. And what did happen is Russia went to war with the Ukraine, right? A month after we signed our term sheet. So. Oof. So, I mean, we looked really smart. In hindsight, we weren't, right? We right. were just really no, just right timing. It's like, yeah. mm. take the capital and 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 apply it for, for good to go grow, right? And so, and so we did. And that's when we was able to bring in a really strong executive leadership team at that point in time on mm-hmm. um, the product, the engineering side, the kind of marketing, go-to-market side, people and culture, which yeah. can't be overlooked, obviously. Um, mm. And so, yeah, so that's uh, that's how we were able to, uh, to kind of get um, able to achieve the growth we did in 2022 and bring on the clients we did and do a lot we're doing for product side and the SM in terms of this new tenant management solution Ooh. product and our core suite recreating that, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of moving pieces. And it doesn't feel that long ago, actually, to me right, in right. 2022, right? But uh, yeah, so here we are. No, that's, that, that's amazing because here's the thing. Again, after the boom of 2021 and early 2022, people thought that bull run is going to sustain Right, like holy shit, the type of the just in one week or a two week span, the the amount of funding that's being announced out there, I've never seen that happen. Yeah. Right, and a lot of you guys that were able to raise, just we weren't able to raise uh, in twenty. I mean, we were able to raise twenty twenty to twenty twenty one. We, were, the, but it wasn't a million dollar check. 
the, the amount of check I was able to raise was 750K. Okay. And with that money, you're able to, of course, achieve the growth that you promised because you have resources, right? Um, not a lot of us are, are that fortunate to have the, right, the, the money come in right at the nick of time when the, the downturn happened. And a lot of the startups now fall into this category. It's either, okay, they were able to raise at around, again, 2021, 2022. They still have runway, but it's dwindling down. Yep. Because again, burn is not easy to manage, right? Especially yep. if you're trying yeah. to grow at all costs. Yep. And, yep. and then those people that didn't, weren't fortunate to have that much runway from the get-go, all of a sudden will have to then re-strategize how they will get to, to profitability because there's no other way. And the sad reality is this. Just a few weeks ago, Tomasek re- released the, the economy report. 79% drop year on year from last year to now in terms of fund funding, funding. Yep. Uh, yep. across the board. So there is no funds. Now. I mean, there is. Yeah. It's just that it's not going to startups right now, unfortunately. Yep. That's what the yep. market says. So that's how you're able to then make a lot of the zero to one founders become operators. And you've seen this before, Brett, Brett in, yep. in, in, yep. in, other, in other stages. So again, the dot-com bubble, the 08, 09 uh, crisis and whatnot. But during those experiences, now that you're doing this at the helm, what yep. were those things that you learned before that you're applying now? Because you've done, you've also successfully helped companies through those times. But now the difference is you're now the one at the driver's seat. How, yeah. What are those things that you learned before that you're applying now so that you steer clear of any iceberg? Yeah, I mean, it's... I think it goes back to his fundamentals, right? Um, is is really focused on you, you can't spend ten dollars to make a dollar, right? It doesn't make sense. That doesn't that 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 might have made sense at one point in time, but it was never going to be sustainable. Yeah. Um, right. So I think that focus on cash and trying to thread the needle between growth and profitability, which is really hard because you have you especially when you you have investors uh, you know there's a certain growth trajectory that everyone is expecting that they've built into their models and their returns model already right, um, right. and now everybody wants profitability at the same time and it's it's um, that's it's uh, in tech at least it can be hard to sort of achieve both of those at the level that 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 you want right, um, right. but so I, but i think to do so the key is having the right team making sure the team is efficient and effective yep Sometimes having to make some hard decisions Oof. around team and and other things, right? And yeah. you can't the longer Trimming you fat. the longer you you hold to make that decision, the worse it is, right? And so that's one of the things I learned really early on was it's certainly not fun to be at the helm, as you said, and having to make those decisions versus just advising someone to make those decisions. Mm. Because it's people's livelihood, right? Um, yeah. As well, and families are impacted, and it's not something that anyone takes lightly, right? Um, or they shouldn't. But it, you have to make those hard decisions at times, and you have to do them. The quicker you do it, the 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 more empathetically you do it, the better, right? So, right. Um, so yeah. So I think that sort of that focus on fundamentals, that focus on making sure the team and the and the machine overall is 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 efficient, and really it goes back to what I started this whole conversation with is doing more with less, right? Yes. So. 
that point I was talking about from a time management perspective, but it's applied to resources in general, right? Yeah. You have to, you have to be able to do that. You have to be able to, uh, I don't want to say make that pivot because if you're making that pivot, it's probably too, it's probably too late. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately. Right. Um, because it shouldn't be a pivot. It should be like an evolution. Right? Really. right. It should just be a further refinement of what you were already doing right? Uh, to sort of make it through. And and it's hard to just do it alone because at the end of the day, as a founder, right, you're too attached to, again, the people's livelihoods and whatnot. But I want to understand, uh, Brett, in order to get the best decision that you think, of course, you have to be, um, you cannot beat around the bush and delay decision. You have to nip it in the bud because being indecisive can be fatal, right? Mm. In, in times like this. But who do you run to or who did you run to to get advice? Because it's mm. very confusing. It's emotionally, you know, hard. And aside from, again, the, the, the financials of it, especially that, you know, you no, no founder wants to like, hey, cut people loose and cut sure. and whatnot. Yeah. But yeah. during these tumultuous times or even before, who did you run to to really make that instantaneous decision and come to a fast action yeah. in order to save the company? Yeah, yeah. It's a really good question. And it's a really it's a really hard part of being a founder is figuring out who you you turn to during those times, right? I'm very fortunate to have a really supportive board um who I think care about the company a lot, care about their investment a lot, obviously, but care about me as a person as yeah. well and are there as that sounding board. However, there's still the board of directors, right? So you still want to have somebody else to your point to turn to uh, in addition to that, right? Um, And so I'm also somebody who feels I'm kind of protecting my family if I don't burden them with all of the stress that I am um, going through, which is not the healthiest thing I get. My (laughs) wife always always tells me that. Yeah. So so I I try to share somewhat with her and she's very very intelligent, has a great, has a, has had a great career and it can bounce some things off, but it's, it's really other founders. Like I've, I've been really yes. fortunate to be able to find a network of other founders that can have real conversations, right? Yeah. It's not like, oh yeah, everything is going great. Everything. Okay. I don't want to have that conversation. <laughs> it's not, it's not real. It's not, I know no. it's not going great. Right. Or no. if it is, God bless you, but it's not for me at that point in time. Right. Correct. So, um, and so I, I was, I during the pandemic joined this group, uh, Southeast Asia founders that, uh, that Peng from Monks Hill and a couple others had started oh. back in like 2015. Okay. So I had this like, uh, group, um, it was all virtual, right? So it's guys in Vietnam, Indonesia, yep. Malaysia, but it was essentially a support group, right? Where it was, is all built around vulnerability and transparency. And so yeah. you go through and talk about everything that's going well or not going well, like the company, family, whatever. And people aren't there to give you advice. They're yeah. there to listen and share related experiences, right? And what you can might be able to learn from those experiences. So that was really, really helpful. And I still talk to, I still talk to, to those guys more, kind of bit more informally now. And then I think locally there's a you know group of founders that um, that I, I I can also be honest and and transparent with and 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 they're the same right so and and I think that you can you can f- you find out who those people are fairly quickly right yeah. um, um, that they're, they're mostly rock- in Rockwell too <laughs> <laughs> very true very true right. so I think Valley really right there yeah mm-hmm. yeah I've been really fortunate to to have um, 
that 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 group of of, of other founders gone through very similar experiences and have, have become like, really good friends as well because of that, right? So that sort of that shared experience um, excel- sort of accelerates that that relationship. Right. Th- these are the times where it gets really lonely as a founder, right? And heavy, I always say it in founders only, where heavy is the head that wears the crown, yeah. right? There's only so many people that would understand because of course, it's not like we want this to happen. Again, it's outside of our control. We did our best, right? But it's not like we tell ourselves, ah, it's okay because we did our best. We're our worst yeah. critic yeah. majority of the time. For sure. I'm like, For fuck sure. that. For like, sure. You know, yeah. 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 best is not enough, right? So... That's where yeah. other founders really come handy. And I, I've yeah. experienced that also this year where, again, we had a downturn. The first people that really aided us to help out and to make it, out, make it out alive was my founder friends. And I felt it more when I lost my co-founder because he, oh, really? yeah. he, he, yeah. passed, he passed away suddenly this year. Oh, geez. I didn't know that. Oh, right. I, I was that. like, I didn't know that. Okay. shit, right? I mean, who do you turn to? So you just yeah. really, the the, the, yeah. the easiest and the best people that you can come across with are people that are, I mean, I, I couldn't, nobody's ever lost a co-founder here in the Philippines, unfortunately, in the middle of the war. So that's me. So, so hopefully done. I, I don't want any, I don't want this on anyone, but if you need someone to yeah. turn yeah. into... If you ever come across it, hopefully it doesn't happen to anyone. I'm here, right? But it's, it's these things, balancing yourself that, hey, we're, in a way, it's, yeah. it sounds fucked up, but shared misery. <laughs> and totally. we all feel no, better no, no, about no. it. Always, uh, that's what we kind of <laughs> used to joke about in that in that group I mentioned, right? It was that shared misery. It's like, oh, okay. It's not, it's not just me feeling this way, right? It's not just me feeling like I'm doing a really shitty job of balancing being a founder, a dad, a, a, a husband, a friend, whatever, yeah. right? It's like, you know, it's, it's just, it's really hard. Right. And to your point, even other friends who might have really successful careers or your, your wife or partner or spouse or whatever, like right. they can be supportive. Sure but they haven't gone through what you're, yes. you're going through. Right. And they haven't experienced it from that, that level of responsibility that you feel yep. now to yourself, to your company, to your, to your employees, to your investors. Mm-hmm. And that, and I think I'm, I'm very similar to you and like, I shine that spotlight brightest on myself. Right. Not in terms of trying to get attention, but like, oh. what did I do wrong? How can I fix that? Right. Right. So, right. <laughs> So you I'm, just I'm try to, my worst critic for sure. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And, you, and again, the flip side of that is again, we're so hard on ourselves that sometimes it's hard to move like, fuck, I, I can't believe I let that happen and whatnot. But yeah. it's important that you turn that page because the moment you, you're stuck, the, the more you're stuck in that rut, it, it also affects everything that you do. But oh, yeah, okay. It has a knock on effect for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. 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 So, okay. Last few questions before we yeah. wrap this baby up. Okay. In terms of product, again, you said specifically, and it's going to be verbatim in my head that you know um, it's second to none, and how you build the analytics at the plat- uh, at the back. Again, a lot of people rely on third-party analytics platforms to to build this. And again, you've seen data your whole career since day one, yep. right? But how did you build the product at the back that you're able to churn out data that makes sense? Because there's a lot of data out there. Majority of the time, people don't know how to interpret it. Or how to synchronize it to the point where the person that's going to assess it in one view can generate the right 
data or it's it's actionable metrics or yep. actionable data that you get rather than vanity stupid shit that nobody cares about right right right, right, um, right. how did you make that product if it's and uh, you mentioned that it's second to none yeah 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 i mean obviously i'm biased in that in that opinion but um we all are second we, to none in right, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> i say that shit too okay yeah, yeah i say yeah, that with yeah. pride <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly although i've gotten some pretty good feedback off the new analytics platform from some pretty typically you know harsh critics as well so it's good it's good um but i think uh, listen in terms of analytics there's no point in trying to kind of reinvent the wheel, right? Um, there's companies that that's all they do every day is churn out kind of analytics tools, right? Yep. So do we incorporate some of those into our platform? Sure. Um, what we've done is build something on top of that, um, mm. which is the the whole user experience, right? And how you interact with that data and how you I... see it and how you can customize it on the fly, right? You can do stuff... Like you say, I want to look at 21 to 23. No, I actually take out 21 and 22 because they were shitty years. I want to look at just 20 instead or 19 or whatever it might be, right? So to be able to do that, again, people are blown away. When we, I mean, jaws drop when we go in and start show them the analytics platform or what we can do. It's, I've never had that experience before, right? right? So it's like, yes, this is working. Um, it's that magic uh, moment yeah, where you yeah, get a totally. holy shit from a customer. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, 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 and for us, like, we want to take data from being descriptive, being those vanity metrics that you mentioned, right? To being prescriptive. What do you do with this data, right? How do I use it? It's not just giving it to you at the right time, right place, as I mentioned, but it's that second part, which is how do you make better decisions because of Um, And people are super busy, especially in F&B and retail, Mm. right? They're really hard operations to run. They're really fast paced. So if you just give them a bunch of data, they just don't use it, right? Um, And so we have to tell them or help them get to that point of how to use it. Right. Um, and I think that's some of the stuff that we're still building and evolving will be like a lot more of the, the AI driven. So right now we have predictive analytics based on your own data, what we think you should generate in sales. We're reforecasting that every day based on what you've done and what we think you can do the rest of the month. So you can say, Hey, it's day 10. I'm tracking me 30% below my target. I better think about doing something now rather than waiting. Right. So, um, and looking at product mix and menu engineering and all that, right? So all that, being able to do that in real time is is something that's just not out in the market here. Um, yeah. And so I think it's really exciting. I mean, you've got, we're, we're fortunate enough to have some great clients and we get really good, honest feedback and, and yeah. we get, we and that helps make the product better. Um, yeah. You know, Pickup Coffee is a really big client of ours. Ooh, and Diego, Diego gives me very honest feedback and, and, and that, and, and the product's better, right? And he loves mm. the analytics side of it now. So I think that, that that's just one example, but I think that that's in the SM is another example, right? That they love the data side of it, right? And now we have to help them figure out that massive treasure trove of data, yep. not just as it, how do you use it from an accounting or finance perspective, but how do you use it to make your malls better and make people shop more and spend more or whatever it might be, right? That you want to do. So I think that's the fun part. That's the part that gets really mm. exciting is... How do we help people use this data and how do we use it to sort of make things better overall from an industry perspective too? Yep. That's amazing. And that's also one lesson that I've learned um, early on that, okay, sometimes a lot of the founders here in the Philippines, especially if they are built with a builder zero to one type CTO, they're like, ah, I want to build shit from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, And 
I make the most beautiful software available. I have nothing okay. against that. Yep. But yep. if that takes us seven or six months to build, to go zero to one, or in some, I know I can sell the, the, the product now at, uh, and somebody's willing to throw money at it because, it, and you can just mishmash a lot of people's tech and create a, a nice user interface. Nobody cares what's under the hood. Totally. Right. I agree. hundred percent. hundred percent. I agree with that. I mean, and, um, you know, uh, speed you, and you're able to build traction. Now, simultaneously, you can already build the most beautiful software and you have resources to be able to build that rather than it took us six months and we run out of runway because, again, you're trying to do perfection instead of, you know, just solving a freaking problem. It doesn't matter who, well, what, what that's under the hood. Right. And at the end of the day, it's really solving problems that, that, that matter. So that's amazing. Now, Brett, before I let you go again, this story is not yet here. I think. We're definitely going to have you again in Founders Only this that. time, okay. right? right? But what's next for you guys in Mosaic? Yeah, I, mean, I think for us, we, again, so we're, we're just we just rolling out a new platform called Resto IQ that brings all the products together. It's a much more unified customer experience. So as I said before, we bootstrapped the business. So we built products as and when we could from 2017 to 19. Nope. Admittedly, not a great experience to have to log into purchasing over here, inventory over here, and POS <laughs> over there. So we're, we're bringing it all together, one yep. platform. Plus, we can do a lot more with the data side and do things like, hey, you're running low on, on ground beef. We'll go ahead and create the PO for you. All you have to do is approve it, right? Trying to take out all that manual that manual right. work right? and then do more with the data side. And to your point before, if you're not solving a pain point for a customer, you're not going to be sticky, right? Nope. So... And innovation, I've said this, it's become so cliche in my own mind, but innovation for the sake of innovation isn't a business, right? Yeah. That doesn't, that doesn't survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, and so what we are always trying to do is figure out kind of how we can, we make operations better for our customers, right? How can we either help drive more revenue, help make the operations more efficient and ultimately uh, help them make a higher margin, right? If it's not doing one of those three things, we shouldn't be spending money and the resources to do it. And so that's what we're doing. And now we've got the, the product platform where we, where we really want it. And we're really just focused on going deeper in the market next year. And I think it's a two-pronged uh, approach for us, right? It's a real barbell. So one, uh, we'll, we'll continue to focus on some of these bigger enterprise and key accounts clients that we're that we have now uh-huh. who really love the analytics tool because they can see they can it it, it bubbles up things they might have missed, right? By uh-huh. looking at it by brand, by region, whatever. Yep. But the second thing which I'm super excited about is going after and, and really helping support and 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 revolutionize and, and and sort of modernize the long tail of the market, right? The MSMEs, the guys who are the backbone of this of this industry of this uh, economy, really. If you look at the uh, the numbers in the Philippines, right? So, who who finally want technology, right? They 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 want they want to use technology. I mean, the guys walking around Pabashan selling uh, Tahoe, they they have Gcash uh, on their shoulder, right? Yep. They have a QR code there, so. Yep. So it's uh so I think what we're doing is going to make that uh, process a lot easier. So we're rolling there out this whole process next year, um, a mobile version, a mobile responsive version. So like a handheld, um, you can just download the POS onto whatever device you're using. Nice. You can activate yourself, so the whole journey becomes a lot easier. And then we also turn on things that you never would have had access to, right? So. Payments. We, we now process payments electronically, right? Oof. We work with Zendit, but, but but maybe working with others, going direct with Maya or Gcash as well, mm-hmm. right? So 
We integrate directly with, with Food Panda and Grab, so you can get your orders directly into the POS, no more manual typing, right, and, and, and dealing with that. QR codes, um, e-commerce. So we have Alipay as a, as a partner. They have their own e-commerce store that they're just launching, and you can you can use it for free, right? You only pay for on the transaction side. And I think that last part is really important because people – so there's a SaaS price ceiling in this in yep. this market and across the region, really, right? So, but if you can show people value, then you can upsell, and they, have, and they can pay for value, mm. right? And so that's just all based on transaction fees. And the last thing that we're doing uh, that we're adding, um, and I've got a meeting later today around this. Good luck. Thank you. Is around access to capital, right? Mm. Um, and so we want to work with the digital banks and and um, uh, around that. And giving, especially on the MSME side, these guys really much easier access to capital, right? That they haven't had because they're they're growing this business based on their personal bank account or their friend's money or whatever they pulled together. And now it's transitioning and successful. And how do they continue to grow it, right? And how yep. do they continue to either grow it or franchise it? And and they need capital and they don't they don't understand how to get to that. And they and a lot of times it's predatory financing or it's based on like putting your house up as collateral and like, nope. there's enough risk already in being a founder. I don't need uh-huh. to do that as well. Right. So, <laughs> so we're, I think we're really excited about that. Um, and what we can do on, uh, on that front with, uh, with partners like GoTime and, and others there. So I think it's, it's, um, so getting back to what I was saying, that really helps us really help drive the MSME side forward and really have a really meaningful impact on the F and B uh, sector uh, in, in general as well, and making sure that 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 sector, which is which really drives the overall economy, is sustainable, right? And 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 tech focused. Absolutely. Again, thank you so much, Brett, for sharing such an exciting, exciting update for you guys. But before I let you go, if they want to work with you, and again, reach out to you, and again, so so like me, where do they go, and how do they do that? Yeah, you can just go to uh, our, our website, probably the easiest place, but it's mosaic-solutions.com. You can email me directly, LinkedIn, whatever, what, anywhere. We'll we'll find you. If you, if you put us there out you. on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, anywhere, um, we're, we're, we're every place there. So happy to, uh, happy to have those conversations for sure, whether it's partners or, or potential clients. Sounds good. Again, Brett, before I let you go, follow us on whatever podcast app you're listening to, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any type of podcast app. And if we did say some jargon, it's going to be the show notes on healthshare.com. And again, shout out first to our premium supporters here on HealthShare, GoTime Bank, Union Digital Bank, uh, PayMongo, Capita, Shoppable Business, CCAP, Sari Suki. Shout out to you for our Diamond supporters. Our gold supporters, Buo, uh, Build with uh, Convenience, Silver supporters, Hactive, and of course, Bronze supporter, Jen. And again, uh, just like them, if you want to support us, you can subscribe at premium.hustleshare.com. Again, Brett, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, a great time. I really appreciate it. Look forward to coming back anytime. Sounds good. Let's do it. And I'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace.